Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Today's message is called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Let's begin by praying what many of us call the Lord's Prayer, when in reality it isn't the Lord's Prayer, it's the prayer he gave the disciples. He said, when you pray, pray like this. It actually should be called the disciples' prayer. So let's pray together. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. And forgive us our trespasses as we those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the, and the, and the, forever and ever. And everybody said, amen. amen. Today, I want to speak to you about on earth as in heaven. On earth as in heaven. Um, we brought one of the most well-known, probably the most famous woman speaker in the world to Lafayette probably about 15 years ago. Um, her name's Christine Kane. And she's probably the most renowned at that time. She was not the most renowned speaker, a woman speaker in the world, but, but, but she is now. And she came and she'd never been to Lafayette and she came in through the Evangel and Thruway. How many have ever brought friends into Lafayette and specifically went around the evangel and throughway? Don't lie, God will judge you in church. And so, and, and so when we came in and then of course, I don't know why it seemed like that day, you know, I went on one of the really terrible roads and, and, it, and, and then she kind of looked and said, why are you here? Like, like, why do you live here? And I'm like, because I'm the founder of the Mexicoons. I said, because I, I, I love this place and, and I love these people and I love the culture. I, I love the saints. I love LSU. I, I love UL. I just, I love this place. And she said, oh, okay. And I wondered why she thought that until I went to Australia where she's from, Sydney, Australia. Everything is gorgeous. Okay, the city is pristine. The roads are like streets of gold. In Australia, they're like the southern. They're not like European who are snobby. They're like, hello, mate, how are you? Hey, hey, hey. go uptown back steak. I mean, they're like that. They're just, they're just friendly. They're outgoing. They're it's like if you took people from here and you put them there, except the streets were good, every, the schools were good, the weather was wonderful, everything was pristine. Besides that, it's just like here. <laughs> and I realized at that moment why she said to me, when Jesus came to earth, he is the only one, he came through a mother, but he came from a different place than all the rest of us. Though he came through a virgin named Mary, he came from, we, God created us in the womb. As a matter of fact, on the way out, you're going to see a, a new law that we want to see put in that preserves 
babies in the womb with a heartbeat. You're going to see that. We are very pro-life. That is not a political issue. That is a biblical issue. We are pro-family. That's not a political issue. That's a They have made them political, but they're not political. Political means you can be on one side or the other. This says God's right and everybody else is wrong. Okay, just just by way of just being a little political. How many of you probably think you know how I vote? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you really don't know? Raise your hand. How many of you really don't care to know? Raise your hand. Okay. I pastored the Democratic governor, Governor Blanco. I was her pastor. She actually received at that time the award for having the most integrity of any administration in being the most pro-life, pro-family governor that we'd ever had. And that was because of this word every week. They they asked me to be their chaplain, and I said, first of all, you're Catholic, I'm Protestant, you're Democrat, I'm the other one, I'm Mexican. And they said, we want you to be our chaplain. I said, get a priest to be your chaplain. They said, no. They said, send back three times. We want you to be our chaplain. I said, I'll be it on one condition. This was two years before the election. I said, let me meet with you every week for an hour and teach you the word. If I can teach you the word every week, for two years, I'll do it. And for two years, we met every week for an hour. And we didn't talk about politics. We talked about biblical truth. The net result of that is those Catholic roots that were in her of pro-life and pro-family not only gained incredible roots, which she already had, I was able to give her also a biblical foundation for those things. Aren't you glad? I, I, I believe that God is right, and every time we align with him, we'll be right. And I remember saying to Governor Blanco then, as I said to Governor Jindal, who I was an advisor to and close to, when you stand on God's word, I will stand right beside you. When you stand against God's word, I will open up God's word and stand in front of you and tell you what God's word says. And that is still what every one of us as believers should do. It's not what do the Democrats say, what do the Republicans say, what what does God's word say? Because heaven and earth will pass away, but what's in this book will never, ever, ever pass away. So today, I want to bring you back to that perspective. Because when Christine King came here and went, your streets are terrible. It's hot. I, I, I mean, she did all these things that she didn't like about our area at that time. Now, later she fell in love with you and with us, and so she comes still. And don't tell her all of that I said all of this. It was 15 years ago. She has now been born again. <laughs> through Cajun food. And I took her husband hunting. She was grossed out by a deer on the wall. Now her husband has many deer, and I'm happy to say God used me to take his truth to reveal that to her. 
But the reason that she said that was the point of reference that she had, which was, I come from a place that's beautiful, that's pristine, pristine waters. The streets are amazing. Everything is amazing. And so she kept comparing here to, to there. Where did Jesus come from? And so everything he saw, he saw from the perspective of, oh, that it were like it is in heaven. Oh, that it was like it is in heaven. And then he began to say, here's what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that what is in heaven, which I'm telling you about, that you've yet to see, one day you will, that it would be on earth as in heaven. And that's what that whole prayer is about. As a matter of fact, every single heart where Jesus rules and reigns and the Holy Spirit covers, you have a piece of heaven. Heaven's rule is in that heart. And then in every home, when a mom and daddy surrender to Jesus, it's not perfect, but you begin to feel heaven's atmosphere in your home. Is everybody with me? Okay. So what is God's will? What is it that he wants you and I to do that we just prayed, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? What is it that God wants you and me to do now? Now, we celebrate each weekend people becoming born again. Don't we? Okay, previous to COVID, there was over 200 people born again here every weekend across our six campuses, now five. That's amazing. And we celebrate that. That's the beginning. Jesus looked at a religious man named Nicodemus and said, you must be. And Nicodemus said, how can I be born when I'm old? I'm over 40 years old. You want me to go back into my mother's womb? And Jesus said, I'm not talking about the body. I'm talking about the spirit. What's born of the spirit is spirit. What's born of the flesh is flesh. Don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. So the moment that I am born again, I become spiritually alive. That means I become a citizen of heaven. So if I am a citizen of heaven and the Bible tells me not only am I a citizen, but I am an ambassador, which means I am a representative of the country that I come from. So if I am a citizen of heaven, I am an ambassador of I'm an ambassador of heaven. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents the country to which he's from to the country that he's in. So you and I are ambassadors for Christ. That means that we are here on earth representing heaven and making sure that people on earth know what heaven is supposed to be like. And that we're supposed to exemplify that through our lives. That's what you, all those years you've been praying to our Father, that's what you were praying. Let the speed limit be the speed limit of heaven. Let the peace be the peace of heaven. Let the relationships be the relationships of heaven. Let my marriage be like heaven. Is everybody following me? So if that is indeed what God desires for heaven to come to earth and we as his representatives, then the first part of it is us becoming citizens of heaven. But the second part of it is us representing and advocating and recruiting and preparing for heaven. 
I'm a tour guide. Come join me. You can become a citizen of the country first, and then I'm going to help prepare you so that you can live there forever. Forever. How does that happen? How does that happen? Now, I, I am a U.S. citizen. I'm just in the controversy right now. Okay, some of you who kept holding signs up every time I preached, you didn't like it. Build that wall, build that wall, go back home, go back home. Okay, I, I am a, I'm a my, my grandfather in 1910 took his 13-year-old wife. He was 20. Aren't you glad to know people got married at the same age they did in Lafayette back in the day? Okay, and, and he walked 800 miles from the interior of Mexico all the way to Houston, Texas with his 13-year-old wife, killing rats and rabbits and anything along the way to eat. And because he could speak a little English, he got a job on the railroad. And then not long after that, my father was born in Houston and my father never learned how to speak English. So when he was in sixth grade, he was 16 years old because he couldn't speak English and he dropped out of school in sixth grade and joined the army. Imagine going from sixth grade to the army. That's what he did. But my grandfather left one country and came to another one so he could give his children a better opportunity and grandchildren. Hey, let me just say this. I'm glad he came. I'm, hey, I'd have gone through El Chapo's tunnel. You know what I'm saying? I don't care about the air through the ground. I'm just glad that he came. But once we're born again and we become citizens of this country, then we have another job. Our job is not just to say, hey, I, I got my citizenship. I'm a U.S. citizen. I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free. No, no, no. Look at me. As citizens, we then have a responsibility. Let me just stop a moment. How many of you know that you're born again? Raise your hand. How many of you know that you are a citizen of heaven and you have a spiritual birth certificate? Come on. Okay, that's done. Then if you are a citizen of heaven, what's your next job? Just to try to not do as many bad things as you can't do so that you're a pretty decent citizen? What is an ambassador's job? To advocate? to represent, to recruit. Listen to what Jesus tells us. He comes to earth. He lives for 30 years as a normal person, as a carpenter's son. I mean, that still blows my mind. Didn't it blow your mind? Jesus comes preaching in his hometown. They go, he renovated my back porch. If I'd have known that was who he was, I'd have given him more tea. I mean, there was times I was cooking, I could see his mouth kind of salivating, but we didn't have much. If I'd have known that's who he was, you're, you're laughing. That's what they said when he came to town. Who is this? This is the carpenter's assistant. What, what do you mean he's... And so now... Jesus comes, and after 30 years, he takes his three-year mission, the purpose for which he came. The first 30 years was to prove that he could identify with humanity as Savior. 
the next three years, three years, do you realize that you are a part of a worldwide movement that began with someone who lived 33 years and didn't even begin it till he was 30? Well, what did he do? What, what was it that he did in those three years that shaped and molded and that caused you and I 2,000 years later and a quarter to half of the world's population to be following him today? What was it? Well, you say, Pastor, he, he rose from the dead. That's very true, and he did. But when he rose from the dead, he did that so that he could make an exclamation point in history to show that only one person came from heaven and only one person raised from the dead and he came with a message. Now, if you lived 33 years, came, lived a sinless life, submitted to your father for 30 years, and the last three years fulfilled all your father's mission, walked on water, healed the sick, raised the dead, cured lepers, turned water into wine, Cajun's favorite miracle. Look at me. And then you left with one final statement. Do you think that might be important? In essence, he is leaving the message I spent 33 years, 30 as a man, humbling myself, living as a human being, the last three years fulfilling my father's purpose, and I've come back to give you one message before I leave. You ever been with somebody when they died? They'll go, come here. I, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. And they will ask you to do what is the greatest desire of their life. It is their final moment. When Jesus rose from the dead, he had just such a moment. And listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and said to them, read it with me, all, all authority, all power of absolute rule in and has been given. Okay, well, why did he say that? He was God. Why did he say all authority been given to me in, in heaven and on earth? It's real simple. You've heard me say this many times. When Adam and Eve were placed in the garden, God gave them the keys to the world and made them stewards of it. When they sinned, they lost those keys and Satan became the God of this world. So when they lost it in the garden, Jesus went and cried, sweats of blood was coming out of him. And in that garden... He redeemed what man lost thousands of years before in the Garden of Eden. So when he rose from the dead, here's what he said. When sin happened in the garden, the wages of sin is death. I just defeated death, hell, and the grave. I took the keys back from the devil that man lost to him thousands of years ago. And now that I've taken that authority back from him, here's what I want you to do with that authority. An absolute rule. I want you that things would be done on earth. It says all, all power and authority in heaven has been given to me. Now here's what his mission is. Here it is right here. I want you to read it with me out loud. Go, verse 19, go and whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you always look and see what it's there for. 
It sets up the next statement. I've died, I've rose again, I've defeated death, hell, and the grave, and now go therefore and make what? Make disciples. I did all of this so you could go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Help the people to learn of me believe in me and obey my words and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe everything that I have commanded you. I am with you always, remaining with you perpetually, regardless of the circumstances and on every occasion, even to the end of what? That's Scott, Kankton, Brobridge, and regions beyond. What was Jesus saying to his disciples? He was saying, everything I did, I led up to this moment. The 30 years I lived led up to the last three years. The three years I lived, dying and rising again from the dead, led up to this one moment. Here it is. Here's why I came. And now here's what I want you to do as I leave. Go and make. How many of you like the pews you're sitting in right now? You, You know, in the day and age we live in, most people don't have pews. Churches are cool, so they don't have pews anymore. I like pews. Probably just because I'm old. How many of you like pews? Good, I like you too. (laughs) We're going to grow old together. Do, Do you know what you're actually sitting on is a tree? Oh, what? You're sitting on a tree. How many have ever had a tree house? Okay, you're sitting on a tree house. Because what you're sitting in is wood that now has padding in it. So you're actually sitting right now on wood and cotton. But how did it become a pew? Answer, somebody made it. They made it. This is a cow and a tree. But in order for it to go from a cow and a tree to my Bible, someone had to make it. Today, I want to tell you that the reason he came, that his will to be done from earth to heaven, he made it very clear when he left. And his will to be done on earth is not just for you to be born again, but it's after you're born again for you to accept his command and his commission, and that is to make make disciples. So if indeed that is what your responsibility is, don't you think we ought to know how to do it? What one is, how to do it. How did what began with Jesus taking 12 men for three years and pouring his life into them end up with a cool band, an LED screen and smoke? How did, how did all of this is, we've walked through life transcending, taking the truths of this word. How did it end up that way? Jesus not only died to forgive sin and to give us righteousness, but he died and rose again to give us his power and authority and his mission. What is his mission? What is his mission? I'm gonna go through these things real quickly, so follow along with me. Number one, This power and authority was given for a purpose. 
It was given for a purpose. What was the purpose? To what? To what? To make disciples. That's why he gave us this power. That's why he gave us this purpose. You know why? Because accomplishments are empty, but relationships are fulfilling. How many of you got a college degree? Raise your hand. How many were the first person to get a college degree in your family? Raise your hand. How many graduated from high school? Raise your hand. How many of you, you were the first person to graduate from high school in your family? Raise your hand. Okay, I was. First person to graduate from high school. I didn't even go to college. It was such an accomplishment, I just quit there. <laughs> you, you, you know, look, look at me. What, when you get that, how many of you thought, I can't wait till I get that degree? I can't wait till I get that degree. How many got it? Hey, when you put it on the wall, did you feel any different? No. How many of you couldn't wait till you got married? I can't wait till I get married. I can't wait till I get married. I walked down the aisle. My greatest fear. You know what my greatest fear was, Ken Myers? Dr. Ali, you know what my greatest fear was? When I got saved, I began to live obviously morally pure. And my greatest fear is right before my honeymoon, Jesus was going to come and take us away and I wouldn't have a honeymoon. I was thinking, I'm going to be walking out, dun, 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 and I'm right at the front, and the trumpet of the Lord sounds, dun, 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 boom, I'm gone, no honeymoon. I'm like, wow, I lived holy for this? Seriously, I'm not joking. That was my greatest fear. But how many of you have ever gotten to that, I can't wait till I, and you fill in the blank, and when you get there, it didn't bring what it promised? Because accomplishments are empty, but relationships are fulfilling. You know, you might not realize this, but you've been wired for relationship. How many people have died with COVID? Raise your hand if you know. They just tell us. Come on, it's all over the news. How many? They say 200,000 have died of COVID-19. Most of them it's with, it's not of. But watch this. Do you know that 70,000 people have OD'd or committed suicide in the last eight months? Do you know why? Because you were created for relationships. And when people got quarantined, they thought there was some, that the enemy was the virus. Can I tell you what the enemy is for all of us? It's isolation period. That's the enemy. The enemy is isolation. You see, disciples, this is number two. Disciples are not born. Believers are born. Disciples are made. They have to be made. It doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen in a 30-second or a 30-minute time period once a week. Disciples have to be made just like this had to be made, just like this had to be made, just like all that you're sitting on had to be made. Number three, Jesus talked about teaching them to observe all that he said. Can I tell you this? Teaching is not discipling. How many got children? The word disciple comes from the word discipline. How many have ever looked at your children and told them not to do something? Did you tell them one time and they never did it again? Yeah, uh-huh. 
My daddy had a way of doing that. It was, he, it was electric. He used an extension cord. <laughs> Listen to what real discipleship looks like. Jesus showed us in the gospels, but the apostle Paul teaches us, look at what discipleship looks like. Listen to what he says in first Thessalonians, dear brothers and sisters, you dearly loved by God. And we know that he has chosen you to be his very own for our gospel came not merely in the form of words that's teaching, but in mighty power infused with the Holy spirit and deep conviction. Surely you remember how read this with me. We lived our lives. What? transparently before you to encourage you and you became followers of my example. You followed me, watch this, and the Lord. Why didn't he say the Lord first? Because you can't see the Lord, but you can see somebody else that the Lord is living in. You might be the only sermon somebody ever sees. You might be the only message somebody ever hears. And the Lord, when you receive the word with joy from the Holy Spirit, even though it resulted in tumultuous trials and persecution, now you have become a example to all believers too. Follow throughout all the providences of Greece. Watch this. The message of the Lord has sounded out of you, not only in Greece, but its echo has been heard in every place where people are caring about your strong faith. Do you see the pattern? Here's pattern number one. You saw how I lived. Number two, you followed my example. You followed my example. Number one, you saw how I lived. Number two, you followed my example, which you took is from the Lord. Number three, Now you have become an example. Now you have become an example. Number four, now others are following your example. Does that kind of sound like parenting? You were young and I trained you and you were raised up. And now as a parent, I sit back and I watch you as you trained your children the way that I trained you. This is the pattern. You saw how I lived. You followed my example. Now you become an example and now others are following you. This is discipleship. All crowds are not the same. Let me explain. How many of you know how much the stadium at UL holds? Anybody know? 20,000 people. How many of you know how many the stadium at LSU holds? 102,500, 102,500. You could put the city of Lafayette, not the parish, the city in the stadium. As a matter of fact, most of them are there on Saturday night. Watch this. I have been there on the sidelines. I remember being on the sidelines two years ago. I was on the sidelines and I was standing there next to Miss Kelly and I was right on the, on, on the uh, bench line with a guy that was the fifth pick in the NFL draft and, 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 and we're holding hands and we're praying and we're watching Darius Geis and he has two chances to make one yard. They're on goal line and all he has to do is make that one yard. What they don't know is, is not only that he wins, but then Coach O is going to be offered the job at that point. That was the agreement. He beat Florida. The crowd was yelling and screaming. They're, oh, get out! 
out that we're drunk, Cajun men, women, and children. Okay? Watch this. And I'm praying with this guy. We're praying. We're praying. Come on, Pastor, pray. We're praying. He doesn't get it. They try again. We later end up finding out the running backs coach, they called the timeout, didn't even tell him the right direction to go. And they don't get it. And as soon as I'm holding this guy's hand, as soon as he doesn't get it, he starts dropping four-letter curse words. So we went from praying to cursing in just a moment. Peter's disciple. A hundred and two thousand five hundred people couldn't get one yard. Do you know what church attendance is like? It's like the LSU game. That's right, Pastor. Preach. Come on. Pastor Chris was strong today. He was preaching. His preaching looked like Pastor Jacob's body. It was strong. It was, you wouldn't believe what it was like. You wouldn't, okay, but watch this. 102,500 people can't get one yard. But watch this. Get 100,000 Marines. They'll take over a country. You know what the difference is? Discipleship. And oftentimes, as the church, we've been satisfied with 102,500. Sometimes I've been satisfied with that. But the only thing that is going to change Acadiana, your community, your city, your street, and the world is discipleship as Jesus commanded us to do. No amount of church attendance or small group activity will replace the biblical mandate to make disciples. The devil's not afraid of big churches, but he is afraid of little disciples that know that God is with them and what they're commanded to do. I'm not sure how large God has called our church to be. We had 8,000 each weekend before COVID. It's now 3,000. I'm not sure how large he's called our church to be, but I know this. I know he's called us to make disciples regardless the size of our church. To change the world, he took 12. Not 1,200. Not 12,000. Not 102,500. He took 12. One denied him and forsook him. The other one was either cursing or walking on water. The other one doubted everything that was said. And the other ones, they never had the time to speak between those three idiots. So we really don't know. Discipleship should be measurable, not a mystery. If indeed this is what God wants from earth, heaven to be done on earth, then the questions I should be asking myself are simple. Who am I discipling? Who am I discipling? When am I discipling them? How am I discipling them? What are those I've discipled? What are they doing? And who are they discipling? Do you know that everything reproduces after its own kind? How many of you hate things that you say or do that are stupid? You hate it. Come on. Well, then change before you start reproducing after your own kind because your kids will stand right behind you and do the very same thing. 
John 15, seven and eight says, but if you live in life union with me, if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire, it'll be done. When your lives bear what? Abundant fruit, you demonstrate that are you or my what? Mature what? You know what the difference is between a, a child and an adult? One can't reproduce, the other one can. Look at me. You want to know what your maturity level is as a Christian? Are you reproducing? Are you reproducing? And then finally, if the last words of Jesus were go into all the world and make disciples, can I tell you a scary thought? Look at me. When we see him face to face, it may be the first thing he asks us. You say, Pastor, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a preacher like you. I'm not a preacher like you. You have no idea the amount of people that get discipled, not by people like me, but by someone who reaches out and cares for them on the job. Start speaking life to them about their marriage or their relationships or their future and you start speaking hope over them and you start believing in them. In AA, they call it a sponsor. In Celebrate Recovery, we call it someone who walks with you. But the Bible calls it very simply what it is and what you and I were created and wired for and it's making disciples. It's making disciples. And the reason that Jesus put these jacked up people in the Bible for you, Peter, Thomas, I won't believe him till I can touch his hands and see his side. Then I'll believe what he told me 500 times that he would raise from the dead. Jesus shows up, boom, touch my. I was joking. The joke's over, touch my hands. Who would leave the most important message in the world with 12 idiots like that? The same one that would leave it with you and me. We can speak to all types of things. We can speak to the racial issues. We can speak to all kinds of need issues, but none of that will ever replace doing what Jesus gave us to do as the first mandate saying, this is the reason why I came to earth. This is the reason why I lived 33 years. This is the reason why I died. And this is the reason why I rose again. So you can make disciples. That's why we have this book right here. Because some of you, like me, might say, Pastor, how, how do you start discipling people? How do you start? We made it so easy. All you got to do is open up and follow through the next book, one page with another one, and the scriptures are all there. How many of you can draw well? Raise your hand. You draw well. Good. I hate you in a Jesus kind of way. Okay. They asked me to draw a plane in first grade. They thought it was a tree. Okay, how many of you know what I'm talking about? That's how you are. But you know what I liked? I liked when they had those things that you would draw something and you just went from one number to the other one. Like you went from one to two, two to three, four to five. See, it is a tree. That's what this manual is. All you have to do is be prayerful 
and have a willing victim, I mean person. Can I tell you how hungry people are? Can I tell you how hungry people are and how desperate people are? Today, these books are available back in the back. I think we have 60 that are left. They're five bucks each. We want you to have an investment in it. There's boxes you can get that have two inside of them, one for you and one for somebody else. And many of you have said, man, I wish, I wish Pastor Jacob was here or, or Pastor Chris or Pastor David or so who could come and, and, and talk to my friend. All you got to do is ask, take the book and go page one, page two, page three, and lead them on a journey. It's lined out perfectly just for you. So that day when you stand before him and he says, who did you disciple? You go, Boudreaux. Come on. Come on. With all the talk of people changing the world, do you know that if every Christian disciple three people in one year, the whole world would be converted? But instead, we spend millions of dollars broadcasting TV, radio, all kinds of things instead of discipling people. Let me close with a little discipleship story. Can I do that? I'm here today because a white pastor took me in when I was 14 and a half years old. You think he saw this in me? My hair was down to here. I was 14 years old. He'd pick me up at my mother's bar three times a week. And when he couldn't come, they'd send people. And they were always afraid. They'd open up the window about this big and go, is Jacob here? And somebody would walk in and go, hey, Jacob, there's some white people out there in the car. They're looking for you. <laughs> True story. They'd pick me up at my mother's bar. So, so the first time, like, three months, the pastor was going to preach somewhere and they were taking the whole youth group. And so he said, Jacob, I want you to share your story. I went, okay. So he said, you got to get your haircut. My hair was about down to here. So I went, got a haircut to about right here. <laughs> True story. I went down to the fire cell. Now the fire cell, it's still there today on Harrisburg and the ghetto of Houston is where good clothes got like in a, in a fire and the smoke got all over them and they're still really good clothes, but they just smell like smoke. So usually there's a lot of cologne. So I went down the fire cell and I bought a pair of blue slacks and a blue and white shirt. So I had my hair cut this much. I had to, and I was ready, man. When that bus pulled up, we had this church bus pulled up. I came walking out there and my uncle happened to be there for some God awful reason. And as soon as I got on the bus, he came running out, Jacob, you forgot your beer. <laughs> it wasn't true, but I mean, that's what he did. Do you think he saw what was in me? All he saw was a kid to pour his life into. There's a dear friend of mine in our church. His name's Ed Morton. Ed's 70, I don't even know, 70 what? How? 78. A few years back when we had a lot of interns here, he adopted a young man named Tavares. Tavares is so dark if he stands next to a wall he creates a hall Ed Martin 
is as honky white as God ever made a human being. If you want a large white man, just draw a picture of a large old white man, that's Ed. Ed was an alcoholic for 25 years. And his wife prayed and stood and believed God until he was born again by the power of God. Ed wrote the first check for this property that you sit on right now. Ed adopted Tavares. He loved him. He had no more in common with him than you would have with the most furthest person from your culture you could imagine. And he loved him. He poured his life into him. He gave him an old car he had from the shop because Tavares' parents didn't have much. And, and so he gave him an old car. Tavares took care of that car, man, like that was a Lamborghini. After a year of Ed watching how he took care of that car, he got a much newer truck. And he called Tavares over the house and Tavares came over. How you doing, Mr. Ed? He said, fine, fine. He said, how's your car been? He said, oh, my truck's all right. Mr. Ed, thank you. He said, well, get out of here. He said, what do you mean? He said, take those keys and get out of my house. He said, what, 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 what keys are that? He said, oh, that's the keys for that truck right there. Mr. Ed, that's your truck. It's not my truck anymore. Get out of here and take that truck. I talked to Tavares this week. He is a youth pastor at the largest church in America, Life Church, 100,000 people. Dude, look at me. That's discipleship. That's every week. That's meeting with him every week, having him over for dinner, pouring into his life. That's discipleship. Today, every one of us, regardless of where we are, have someone we can pour our life into and make a significant difference. Years ago, Harvard did a study of successful adults. And they asked all the critical questions of what caused them to be successful. And at the end of this extensive study, they came up with one brilliant idea. Here it was. All of them had one person that was crazy about them and believed in them. All of them had one person that believed in them. Today, I want to challenge you. Let's not be the crowded in LSU game. Let's be the army Jesus charged 2,000 years ago when it was 12 men who changed the world. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, and we thank you for the power of the gospel, the power of your word, which changes our lives when we hear it, when we heed it, when we follow it. Father, today, I pray for the precious people that are here. They're here because they love you. They're here because they want to be disciples. They're here because they want more of you in their lives. So Jesus, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We received that mandate where you said all power and authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples now and I'm with you always. We accept that. 
And now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, pastor, I've been christened. I've been baptized. I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start, but that's not what Jesus said in John 3, 3. He said, you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven or to enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the day you get your birth certificate. That's the day you're born into this kingdom of heaven while you're here on earth. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never once prayed to be born again. If that's what Jesus said I have to do, then today that's what I want to do. Would you pray for me, Pastor, today? I want to be born again. So with your heads bowed, and your eyes closed on the count of three. If that's you and you say, Pastor, I've never prayed to be born again, but today I want to begin my spiritual journey. I want today to be my spiritual birthday. Then I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just praying for you right where you are so that today can be your born again birthday. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Everything's led up to this moment. And today is your day. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high so I can pray for you. Pastor, pray for me. Yes, yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anywhere else? Anywhere else? All right. Church, let's pray out loud with all of those that raise their hand. We're going to join you. We're going to pray out loud with you. Let's pray out loud together. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen.